We always wanted a resilient business. And it's funny, that term would sort of make people yawn a little bit pre-COVID, but you don't want to be so exposed according to, you know, meta algorithms that if they change all of a sudden it all goes out. Like we were seeing blogs that had all their income was coming from affiliate sales on Amazon and then Amazon just changed the affiliate percentage overnight and all these blogs went belly up. I think that desire to have a long-term vision that can keep evolving means you have to focus more on resilience, which means you have to build muscle in more spots and never be too dependent on a single channel. This is Nigel Thomas, and this, ladies and gentlemen, is the Ecom Alphas podcast. So today's guest doesn't really need his own introduction. Andy from Bellroy. These guys, if you don't already know them, have done pretty incredible things in the last decade. And you can quite clearly see from this conversation why that is. The philosophy Andy has, you know, their mission, which is what we're going into in part one, how to really establish a real mission with real principles. And then throughout the whole entire episode, you can see how this has shaped their business all the way through to the core. And obviously they've got a massive team now, but they've stayed so consistent on this mission. They built a business which doesn't rely on trends as he goes into. And also just, you know, how they build their community, how they've gone through the cycles over the last decade, you know, the DTC boom, even before DTC was an acronym, as Andy points out. But they're really pioneers in the way they think. And yeah, you'll learn a lot. I certainly learned just an incredible amount from Andy just in this first part of this episode. And for any aspiring entrepreneurs, even first entrepreneurs who have been in the game for a while, I'd really recommend listening to Andy. He's very intelligent, very passionate, very demanding, intense entrepreneur, and he's bringing a lot of good to the world. So you should listen in. If you do enjoy the podcast, please share it with a friend. I'm so grateful to have these incredible people on our podcast, and I hope you find this information valuable to yourself. Rate it on your favorite platform. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. Let's get into it. Thank you so much for taking your time, Andy, today. I know you're a busy man. You must have a lot of people that you need to speak to on, you know, every single week. I guess for for people in the audience who are listening in today, Andy, and they don't know about you and they don't know about your brand, who are you? You know, what have you done and what are you guys all about? It'd be great if we start there. And thank you so much for taking your time. Thanks for having me. Uh, It's exciting to chat. So I'll probably start in reverse order. I'm part of Bellroy. So Bellroy make what we call carry goods, and that is things to help you carry your things as you move around the world and transition between days and and formats and worlds. So that's bags, luggage, carry products of wallets and phone cases and lots of accessories in that space. So we have been around, sold our first wallet in 2010, and it's just a really dynamic team. We're, we're based in two offices in Australia, Bells Beach and Fitzroy, which is the Bellroy. It's essentially an omni-channel business with a very strong direct-to-consumer component in that. 
Out of all of that, I'm Andy Fulshaw. I'm one of the co-founders. I'm the CEO of it currently, but CEO role for us is actually quite shared with Lena Calabria, another of um, the co-founders. And she and I sort of really worked together to try and help Bellroy realise its potential, try and create a really vibrant, challenging but supportive workplace and try to help the world carry better. Amazing. And we talked last time when we had a brief conversation, Andy, about obviously the vision, you know, the principles, defining what that North Star is. And it'd be good to hear in a little bit how you've structured the team around that and how you've course corrected over the last, you know, 12 or so years. But for people who haven't maybe figured that out on the the vision side of things, you guys from the sounds of it have done a brilliant job of that. And it's so important and integral to everything you do. What advice would you give? And, you know, feel free to really go and delve into that process as deep as you can in terms of building that vision and then having the principles around that and obviously keeping to the vision, defining that North Star and aligning everyone and galvanizing them to achieving that. Yeah, it's it's such an interesting space. And I think even the way you conceive and shape and communicate a vision changes things a lot. So I think we live in a very complex world where there's many interconnected relationships and causalities between things. And so I think we've always believed in iterative processes for the vast majority of businesses out there. And so even when we think of vision, it's not a 10-year plan that has revenue and gross profit figures and those sorts of things. Instead, the way we've thought of vision has always had a few parts to it. So when you're longer term away, it's generally directions and your use of North Star is a great sense for that. It's sort of, we have a sense of where North is. It's blurrier for what it is, but but there's there's some values, there's some sense of what good will feel like and look like but it's not crystallized and then as you sort of bring it a little closer into the midterm hopefully there's more themes more things that you can kind of rally around that are a little more tangible and then as you get to short term it's more priorities and much more concrete things and that's where you might start to have you know numbers or figures or other things like that and so right from the start of Bellroy, it was actually interesting. One year before we launched Bellroy, we began a community called Cariology. And it was at a time when there wasn't really an, a broadly accepted term for bags, wallets, accessories, all the things you use to carry things about with, with you each day. And so we launched Cariology in 2009. And part of that was thinking, if we can generate a community that cares about this stuff, like find fanatics, find high end users, find folks with very challenging carry problems. If we can build a community, then what we're doing is we're building these feedback loops that will keep helping us see a little bit into the future. It will help us see what folks that think about and care about this stuff are evolving and pioneering. And it will embed us in a community of these feedback loops so that we can keep course correcting as we're sort of heading towards our North Stars. So 2009 was Cariology launch and that's now a vibrant, very significant global community that does lots of things. We keep it distanced. It's a separate team running it. It's it's a huge amount of collaborators. And that's that's a version of a long-term direction that is 
creating the community, the feedback loops, calibrating standards, thinking about the ways that will help us course correct as we go. In 2010, when we launched Bellroy, it was very much with a vision that business can do good in the world. And there's a lot of cases of it not doing good, but there were also a lot of cases of businesses helping shift behaviours. It's it's a lot of our most alert, active hours during a day are often spent in some form of business. And so we believed the shape of business could be done better. But back then, you know, B Corp wasn't around in the sense there wasn't formal structures for what that would look like. So for us, it began with a whole series of values. We, we had a sense of how we wanted to interact with the world, what value we wanted to bring, what we thought high integrity behaviours and cultures would be. And it wasn't even until maybe 2013, I think, or around then, that we actually formalised our sort of mission statement, which became inspired better ways to carry, use business as a force for good, help our crew and the world flourish. And that's a sense of we were already heading in those directions and it took a few years to really sort of crystallise that into something that we felt was more tangible and more actionable and then we could start to sort of use that to check our behaviours, our processes, all sorts of things. So I think when we talk about the vision of Bellroy and why we're in the world, how we're trying to help the world and serve the world, there's many parts to it. You know, we do have mission. We do have a series of values that it's not like excellence, integrity, honesty. It's not those things because we kind of consider they're just walk-up starts. Like, of course, you need those. And you can't find people that would disagree with those really other than a few strange cases. What we even try and do with our values is we try and address real tensions. I think there's lots of superlatives and approaches in the world that are saying it's all this way or all that way. But when we look into ancient wisdoms, when we look at a lot of long-lasting things that have helped humans navigate things, they'll, they'll balance attention. There'll be a sort of yin and a yang to it that is about understanding the push and pull of something. And so then even when we go to our value sets, our values are about trying to find things that not everyone agrees with. So, for instance, global perspectives is one where we do think humans are equally valuable wherever they are in the world. And we can find a lot of businesses that care deeply about local issues and they're really grounded in helping local communities. And we still find huge value in local, but then what we're always trying to do is understand a global perspective. We're trying to understand, you know, if you want to do good, if you want to help, what's what's the most help you can do for folks wherever they are in the world? And so that starts to set up a tension that lets you start to make decisions, not pretending there's one perfect answer, but making decisions that help you balance attention and, and hold something that's not always easy or clear you know challenge the struggle is another where it's like not pretending everything's awesome and not giving up in nihilistic sort of you know detachment instead it's like hey life is challenging like there's a lot of struggles but actually the challenge of them and the way you go through them can generate growth and so we don't try and create a perfectly placid environment where everyone has maximum satisfaction every second Instead, we try and create a really nurturing, trusting environment that means you can lean into discomfort, you can tackle things, you can unearth issues and address them 
you know, concretely and crunchily. And what we're trying to do is sort of have some long distance North Star aspects, some midterm themes, and then some short term crunchier things that mean we don't yet know what Balroy will look like in 10 years, but we have a sense of the direction we're heading in. We have a few themes and tools and like little catchwords that we use that help make decisions when you're caught between two poles and then we keep iterating and learning we keep changing them we keep evolving them we keep moving with them as we learn more yeah amazing i love the idea of balance actually for me when i was listening to that it reminded me of when i read the book principles from ray dalio and he often talks about the best lessons he's learned in life even through all his successes in business come from nature Because if we look at nature, this is actually the best balanced ecosystem. And that obviously goes before humans. So yeah, obviously, we're doing a good job to make make sure that's not balanced these days. Um, But that's uh, an issue for another discussion. Obviously, you guys are definitely contributing to solving that problem. Um, But I thought that was, you know, really interesting to bring those principles back and obviously celebrating diversity people from all, you know, different backgrounds. And that's really how you know, we come together and obviously create these incredible companies that can serve more people worldwide. So I love that. I just want to draw back for a second though, because obviously with the blog that you guys started, there was a conversation I had with another entrepreneur is actually out in Australia too. They're an earlier company that the name of the company is Zorali. I'm not sure if you heard of them. The, the guy's name's Cam Greenwood, really great entrepreneur. He said something when we spoke and recorded a podcast which was about he formed his community first and then he gave the products, the out, you know, the outdoor products to the community. And now there's a buzzword about community. Everyone wants to create the community, obviously largely down to the fact that the competition's more rife, acquisition costs across ads and whatever else are rising. So people feel like they need to switch to that retention methodology overall. But what I find interesting is and his perspective is sometimes it's best to create the community first because the the in, insights that you develop around doing that, and of course it takes more time up front, but I just feel that's incredibly important for brand positioning. And I'm just curious off the back of that as a follow-up question, Andy, how much do you think that that's helped you guys obviously in the, you know, the fast paced growth that you had once you started Bellroy? It's fascinating because our motivations for beginning with karyology were quite different to what you read about in a lot of press. And I think Zarali's approach is more similar to ours from what I understand, which is first off, we don't think of one community. We think of many. We think of not trying to form a community around us, but facilitating communities so they can kind of serve each other and then we can serve them. And then there's a there's an interesting kind of dialogue between them the major reason for us was you know we wanted to be our version of one of the world's great carry brands and for us it was actually the communities that we could be a part of maybe we could foster them seed them catalyze them but then we never wanted to own those communities we wanted to serve them you know facilitate them and it was always the belief that If we were to really keep innovating and keep iterating towards better futures, we had to have deep understanding of the customers and the communities we were trying to serve. And you just can't get that deep understanding 
by doing a focus group or by watching, you know, eyeball tracking or doing any of those things. So for us, it was much more a play of if, if we're to reach a position of leadership, we need the incredible environment that will teach us what great looks like and it will give us feedback when we're not meeting it and it will help us calibrate our own standards. But for us to get that, we also have to be there nurturing and fostering and and giving back in other ways and sharing that learning and sharing that process. So we've always had this sort of better ways tagline where it's not, there's no such thing as a best way in most settings instead it's like fitness for purpose it's evolving towards better and if if you don't have those communities and those thought leadership areas and those experimental petri dishes of kind of really interesting things going on it's going to be hard to keep pushing towards new futures and new interesting places so I think for us community, we don't leverage it in some crazy marketing way for Bellroy or any of that. Like lots of people find out about Bellroy through Cariology, but Cariology is its own thing and it serves the communities and the folks that interact. And within Cariology, there's very many different communities that we're trying to go through. I think there's certainly loads of case studies where the classic Carly Davidson had lost its way and so all the staff started to sign up to motorcycle clubs and all of a sudden they started to really live it and understand it in context, in place. And that's when they sort of got their act back into gear and zoomed back. So I think for us it was always that sort of long-term play of putting ourselves in a great peer group where we could learn from them, they could learn from us and all of us together could sort of lift the tide. Interesting. and. Because you guys have been in business now for well over a decade and over the last, let's say, five or so years, especially, well, obviously through the pandemic and prior to that too, when obviously we had the rise of social media, obviously Facebook and the the ads platform was really firing. It was the golden age. And I'm just wondering from your side of things, you've been through that whole cycle You have seen the companies come and go. You've seen some of the companies, I'm sure, have massive success. I'm interested to hear your take on what can some of those companies off the back of what we were just saying there, maybe do do better to get in touch with the market? Because I think from my side of things, at least, maybe you'll disagree with me, but a lot of them came from that marketing side and especially with the demand because there was such a great opportunity They pulled in these huge customer bases, but maybe now, obviously, the kind of market's resetting a little bit. They might not be quite as in touch with their communities and with their market as they first believed. And yeah, I'm just really, it's an open-ended question, but I'm interested to hear your perspective on that side of things, considering, like I said, you've been through the whole cycle. Yeah, absolutely. And even, you know, when we were launching in 2010, DTC wasn't even an acronym people used. You know, we launched thinking we'd be a predominantly wholesale business selling to retailers to then on-sell and that direct part would be a a part. We have a lot of coders. One of our co-founders was an amazing programmer, also my brother. So we always knew we'd have part of that digital act in what we were doing, but we thought we'd be quite different. So I think it really depends on why you're setting up a business and, and what your goals for the business are. I think, you know, we sometimes talk about taking the stairs rather than the elevator in Bellroy. And that's, that is a personal preference. We didn't want to spin up a high growth get the investors in and then flip it. That was never our goal with Bellroy. We wanted to take the stairs, build the muscle, 
be in control of our future. We didn't want to have shareholders kind of controlling our destiny because it wouldn't let us evolve the type of business we wanted, the for-purpose space, the giving back, those sorts of things. We were too worried about that. So we always wanted to be in control. We always wanted to take the stairs. And so in that sense, we always thought we should be where the customer wants us. Some people love Amazon or Rakuten or Tmall because it's a marketplace where they know exactly what all the shipping returns policies, all those things, it gives them a lot of comfort. Others want to come into a physical space and explore a product and understand what it's like. Others are fine converting through a brand's website. We always wanted to be where the customer wanted us. And we always wanted a resilient business. And it's funny, that term would sort of make people yawn a little bit pre-COVID, but you don't want to be so exposed according to, you know, meta algorithms that if they change, all of a sudden it all goes out. Like we were seeing blogs that had all their income was coming from affiliate sales on Amazon and then Amazon just changed the affiliate percentage overnight and all these blogs went belly up. And it was like, we've always in that sort of take the stairs, this is a long-term goal, we're building something. That means we had to prioritise resilience. And so we think of ourselves as multi-category, multi-channel, multi-geography. We've always wanted several areas. So we began in wallets and then moved to phone cases and pocket carry and then into pouches and laptop and tech things and then into bags. So we've got multiple categories. We didn't want to only have the one hit wonder that many brands launch with. We wanted multiple channels so that customers could be better served, but also so that we could learn through more ways. Like when you're dealing with great retailers, they have phenomenal models of their customers. They're giving you feedback about what they like, what they don't. Your products are having to sell right next door to lots of your competitors' brands. And so there's these feedback loops you get that are really hard to find when you're you know, converting just on a .com and it's it's isolated only to one brand. There's so much learning you get by moving geography. There's a lot of brands that, you know, if you launch in the US, you can just focus on the US for 10 years and that's a big enough market. But when you launch in Australia, you, you sort of got to be global from almost day one if you want to be a specialist. And, you know, we were specialising first in wallets and in the carry space. And so I think that desire to to have a long-term vision that can keep evolving means you have to focus more on resilience, which means you have to build muscle in more spots and never be too dependent on a single channel. And then you overlay the goal to serve your customers in the most frictionless way for them where they're most comfortable. And you can start to see why we were never too dependent on, you know, meta and pure social channels. We were never too dependent purely on one ad platform. We were never too dependent only on one channel or one product because it might give you much more rapid growth. It's the elevator, but someone else is in control of that elevator and sometimes it plummets and sometimes it shoots up. Where if you're taking the stairs, you're building muscle, you can go up or down. As you take more stairs, you build the muscle, you can take two or three stairs at a time. It's just a different philosophy and it suits us, but that's because of the goals we had for Bellroy. It totally makes sense for folks if they just want to have the explosive five years and flip, then you bet all in on one channel, hope you're in the right part of an economic cycle, hope you're able to arbitrage a certain platform, whatever it is, 
that suits other people and that suits what they're going for and that's great. It just wasn't what we wanted. Amazing. And I'll tell you what, Andy, no one likes to be stuck in an elevator, do they? Well, especially if it's not going to the floors you wanted it to go to. It's, it's a fairly powerless sort of feeling. So I trust you got a lot of value of that episode of Andy. It's a pleasure to have him as a guest. And the good news for you is there's one more episode where we're going to go into more of how Andy's built Bellroy, the future of e-commerce, what he thinks retail will become, what to focus on from obviously a brand of his size and his experience and more just into the philosophies and how they've built their company. So stay tuned for that. That'll be coming out next week. Happy Thanksgiving and all the best for Black Friday, Cyber Monday. Stay true to yourself.